You're listening to the Rec2Tech podcast. We connect the tech thought leaders across the globe to deliver content that allows you to make better career and hiring decisions. So, welcome to another episode of Repairing the Unprepared, where today we're going to be talking about how to hire and direct a data science team with Mr. Graham Moorhead. Welcome to the show, Graham. Good to be here. So this this topic kind of came up because I think there's right now never been a more conducive environment for data scientists uh, and their career path than it has been today. Uh, if anything, I think that the stock of data science professionals is at its highest than it's ever been. Um, and in fact, I, I don't think we'll ever come across a field right now that can match up to the prestige and viability of a successful data scientist. And if the inclination of worldwide trends, as well as dependency on ever advancing technology or barometer to go by, it's pretty safe to say that um, data science expertise, big data, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning is not only here to stay, but it's pretty much here to grow even further beyond that. So um, I wanted to bring Graham on the show as, as someone who's a, you know, a very experienced data scientist. Um, but Graham, maybe, maybe you can introduce yourself. So I am from Boston. I grew up being very interested in physics. I wanted to understand the universe. And when I was a kid, I wanted to build a time machine. So I studied physics. And in that, you learned that, no, you're not going to build a time machine. Sorry. And I had this one course in AI. And I thought, wow, this is so interesting. This can't be a real job. It sounds like science fiction. It sounds like Star Trek or something. Turns out it is a real job. And I started doing it at some random company soon after you know graduating. And I've been doing it in different forms and different types ever since. Awesome. So... Explain a little bit more about your, your current situation. I'm not sure how much detail you can go into in terms of the business. So what is your, what is your um, my current situation is one of the best jobs I've had in my whole career. And it's partly thanks to you. Thank you so much for <laughs> connecting with these, these people. Hey, you did the um, We are doing something that's never been done. We are using AI to understand the intellectual property space everything about patents, mostly patents, but also trademarks and other things. How can these things be monetized? How can you get insurance against different liabilities that are related to patents? I mean, in the past, what you had to do is you had to hire armies of lawyers to read every patent that might read onto your products or your business mm -hmm. and get them to sign off on things. No more. We're having AI read those patents. Interesting. I imagine that the uh, the time frame, the turnaround time, by having you know people oh, yeah. look through those patent data, and now an AI. What 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 is the difference? Do, do you know? Yeah. Instead of setting up you know a few months for a project, you can have computer processes read through them as fast as you're willing to pay for. I mean, you have more machines; they can read through them faster, right? Yeah. I mean, That's you can process a single patent in a second or two mm -hmm. that's crazy no no human can do that um what kind of technologies are being used to to achieve achieve that so we're using neural nets we're using um general search strategies we're using uh, a lot of techniques of the trade 
just like every other project I've ever worked on, there's a hundred or several hundred little things you got to get just right. It's not just a matter of using a recipe. There is no recipe yet. It's almost like we're still in the artisan stage of this field. It's not like an engineering field where when you're going to build a building, there's a number of steps you have to do. There's stresses you calculate in the structure and the steel and the concrete. And these processes are well known and well understood. And you just do them in a recipe. It's not like that. It's more like every project that I've worked on, we're doing something that's never been done. Maybe it is like architecture in those cutting edge buildings where they they're doing something that's never been done, but mm -hmm. there's no real recipe to follow. You just have to use the little bits of your knowledge that you've accrued over the years and put them together in a new way. Interesting. And the industry space that you, you guys are working in is insurance, right? Yes, we are one of the largest insurance companies in the world. For instance, one of the kinds of insurance we offer is patent infringement insurance. Mm -hmm. But that's not the really exciting thing here. Okay. The really exciting thing is we are enabling, we're going to be Silicon Valley 2.0, basically, just us as a company. We just enabled a certain company, which I don't know if I can report this yet, to obtain $125 million in second round financing based purely on their IP portfolio. So they are getting a huge investment from 10 different groups without giving up a single share, no dilution. All they're doing is taking their IP portfolio and giving that as collateral. Wow. So really, really cutting edge. That, I mean, that's yeah. it, there's, there's still some industries that are, uh, I, I want to say stuck in place because it's the only way I can kind of think about it, but there's certainly still a couple of industries that I can think of the finance probably being another one, but they're starting to introduce these, these new approaches. Um, yeah. But it's interesting when you think about natural language processing, you know, I do a lot of work in this space and how it's being applied and how people think it's being applied and what they see. And then when you mm -hmm. think about something that your business is doing right now and you don't see that work, you just see results. Yeah. Yeah. It's the results look really good. But there's so much that went before that. Like, for instance, when you hear OpenAI or Google talk about some brand new model they came out with, and the detractors will say, yeah, but it took you, you know, $5 million to train that model. Yeah. Well, it actually took $5 million to train the one model that actually worked that we know about. How yeah. many million, many millions did they spend on all the models that they trained and it didn't work well? Okay, start over. Yeah. And that, that comes back to, a, again, a common theme that keeps coming up in this podcast that um, businesses tend not to see all of those projects. Um, they see the successful ones, but then they see a, a, an amount of money that's been spent and they're like, okay, cool. But we've just invested a lot of money here and haven't seen a huge amount of return. But data science takes time, right? The amount of work that goes in, you, you might not see immediately. And it's all about execution. So think about all the different personalities on a team. And we have a lot of personalities on our team, but every team I've been on is a conflict of personalities. They'll have their own direction they want to go, their own theoretical opinions, and you don't know which opinions are right. And also some of the opinions which are more right don't end up getting executed on because they take longer 
or we just don't have the data or something. So there's always this mix you have to take. Okay, I'm going to do these three strategies at the same time. And I'm going to let those three people argue while they do those strategies. And there's going to be some fighting and arguing. And in the end, we're going to choose one and disappoint two. And that's just how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of want to move on to the first question, Graham. What, what does it actually take? You, you mentioned, you know, there's a huge bunch of different personalities in a data science team. But what does it actually take to become a, a good data scientist? Well, you need to be the kind of person who's got your own interests, like your own sense of smell, like certain things smell interesting to you. If you're the kind of person who will go down a rabbit hole on YouTube or Khan Academy or whatever to learn the background for something, what you find out is that <clears throat> a lot of the things that we deal with right now have been known about since the foundations of mathematics. Some of the things I use come from, you know, 1700s, 1800s, the ancient Greeks. I mean, we have been addressing these same mathematical problems forever. Just now we have better tools and we can do more math faster. And that's all data science is, is a whole bunch of tiny little math problems. But if you organize those math problems in a certain way, they can learn on their own from the data. So you have to be the kind of personality that goes down these rabbit holes. And then what you find out is you will hone in on a specialty and that will become your specialty. And it almost feels like it chooses you. For me, it's language and the brain. How does language encode meaning? How does the brain interpret that language when it comes in? That's, that's my love. I'm, I learn more about it every day. I can never stop thinking about it. So every data scientist should have something like that that really drives you and you can never get enough of the fundamentals, you know, the discrete math or the historical statistics, that huge field of statistics, which basically machine learning is applied statistics in some way. A lot of people think I just going to go to a code camp, you know, and then I'll be a data scientist and that you can learn how to use some things other people have done. If you do that, it's a good place to start. But I feel like I know 10, 15% of what there is to know in data scientists. And I've been doing this since the late 90s. It's interesting you say that as well. So, so what, what, let's just get this clear. You're saying that data science isn't a new thing. No, it's not a new thing. We have a new word for it. And of yeah. course, we use computers now. Mm-hmm. But statistics is what was data science. I mean... Guinness beer is Guinness beer. It's so great because of the student t-test, which is one of the basis of modern statistics. This guy who published under the name student was an employee at Guinness and came up with a way to determine how different two distributions are. And he was just trying to make better beer. We've been doing data science for quite a while. Love that. Love that. And another thing you touched on is that Sometimes your specialism within data science chooses you. Um, yeah. If I were a business exec, or you know, I, I, I had a, well, I am, a, you know, I'm not technical. Are you also saying that one data scientist might be different from another, or do they all do the same thing? No, no, they're all a little different. Um, I mean, there is some basic tools that every data scientist should have. Mm-hmm. Um, for now, the common language we all use is Python, so you should know Python and PyTorch and um, TensorFlow, 
Mm -hmm. um, you should know the basis of a lot of the current algorithms we use. You understand what backpropagation does, what the different neural networks that are popular, and it is really popularity, they come and go. Yeah. But, you know, read the literature, stay up to date on the acronyms that people are using these days. Um, but every data scientist or every, maybe every person should find that one thing that they really feel drawn to. And part of it is just a matter of enjoying your life. But it's more than that. If you take two people of the same talent and they both put in the same amount of effort, but one of them enjoys it, the other one doesn't, the one that enjoys it will become better. Mm -hmm. I think it's because there have been some, you know, some work that shows that dopamine is released when you enjoy something and dopamine is involved in memory pathways. So I'm intrigued then because to become a good data science leader, it doesn't just take being a good data scientist. There's, no, you gotta there's a lot more to it. Fall in love with the subject. You don't want to be the kind of data scientist who never looks at the data. You got to fall in love with the data. What are the the shapes of the data? So topology is an old field of mathematics, been around for a long time, but turns out topology is one of the most important ones in data science. In if your data, think about this: if you have um, your data is trying to separate class A from class B, and they're shaped like donuts and they're locked together. And then you try to train some neural net to split them apart. All the neural net can do is squish them, tort them, contort them, twist them. It can't break them apart. So mm -hmm. once you understand your data, you see, oh, I need to add another dimension. So even though you can't break them apart in three dimensions, in four dimensions, you can. That's the kind of stuff you have to fall in love with the shape your data yeah i see a common problem um in the recruitment world where you know the 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 strongest most technical data scientists might often be promoted into that technical leadership position or, or maybe even more of a strategic leadership position and actually it's been quite a negative impact on the team um i think just from a business understanding people not really knowing that it takes more to then grow and lead in a, a successful data science team and one of those core skills on top of being technically strong is, is also being able to communicate. You know, the soft skills that are involved in, in being able to translate something into reality, you know, an idea into reality. Because I think a lot of businesses often have this grand idea of, you know, creating this amazing product. And then they say, data scientists, go do it. And actually in reality, it's, there's a lot of things that, they, that can't be done, but other things can be. So. Would you say that soft skills are quite an important part of being a good leader, a data science leader? Yeah. So you also need to be one of the data scientists. I think to lead a data science team, you have to be a data scientist mm. because you, you will admit if you're not a data scientist and you're trying to lead data scientists, soft skills do help and they'll get you kind of far, but you will miss those points when somebody presents an idea that's really good, but they're not really good at presenting it. Mm. This happens all the time. And then there are people who have an idea that's okay, but they are really good at presenting it. That's the idea that's going to win. Yeah. And you got to remember how a lot of scientists think 
they think purely on, they try at least to think purely on the merit of the idea. So I had this one guy working for me who came up with this brilliant idea. He presented it once, presented a few details, maybe two or three slides, and then never mentioned it again. And he was really upset that people didn't take it up on him, take him up on it. Cause like he presented the facts that should be enough. Mm. And then to know that he felt upset that requires soft skills and maybe some digging and maybe some repeated conversations later, but then everyone missed it because everybody at a presentation, they're just thinking about their own presentation. And once they're done with their own presentation, they're sitting back and drinking coffee eating donuts and, you know, turning off yeah. and they, but they think everyone's really listening to them. So, Interesting. Interesting. yeah. So, Finding once you get into that kind of leadership role, finding the balance between understanding the business and then understanding the data science is super important. Um, actually, we just had a, a question come in here, which I'm going to bring in um, about why are we still calling them soft skills. Um, from Ray, right good question. Why are we still calling them soft skills? Maybe they're hard to define. Yeah, because yeah. soft skills. I, I can't think of a way to test for them on paper. You can't go take your SAT and give you a soft skill score. True. It's very difficult as well. If, if again, let's just use soft skills for, for the purpose of this conversation. If the person that's interviewing isn't a great communicator to then identify someone who is a great communicator. So it's, it's difficult. What, what can you put in place? Are there personality tests perhaps that work well? Um, for you to gauge that, you know, is there additional screening rounds you can have with different members of a team? I actually heard of, a, of an interview round that someone had where they would have a panel style interview, be asked a technical question, um, but be told to present their response or their answer to an analyst, to a data scientist, to an engineer, to a non-technical person, even to a five-year-old. I mean, not that they had a five-year-old available for the interview, but... Um, just trying to see whether they could communicate the same response in four or five different ways was quite an interesting way to see whether that, that is to, to, you know, have the soft skills, but yeah, yeah why are we still calling them soft skills. Um, Maybe it has an analogy to soft power for a country. So yeah. hard power would be the military and soft power is our movies, our music, diplomacy, mm -hmm. maybe. Maybe there's an analogy to persons. Ray mentioned as well, um, Graham, that uh, they're actually harder skills for technical types. So yes, they are. That's it. And a lot of data scientists feel annoyed that they have to have those soft skills. Like I remember one data scientist, I was trying to get him to improve his presentation so that it would be more convincing to the group. And it just, rubbed him the wrong way. Like, why do I even have to do this? This shouldn't be a thing a person has to do was the thought going through his head. Yeah. So it's super important to when hiring a data science team to have a real clear expectation of what type of personality you want for that given position, as well as the skill sets, the technical skill sets themselves. Because yeah. you don't always need someone that could communicate, right, in technology. Yeah, exactly. People that can just, you know, get in and write the code and, you know, get their head down day to day and be given a task and just get on with it. For an individual contributor, you don't need the soft skills. You just need people with soft skills who trust you mm -hmm. and are around you.
And you need a team with different people that have, you know, different fascinations with some deep aspect of the problem. And a lot of those people don't have the soft skills, maybe don't want them, maybe don't need them, but they do have some deep technical understanding. Some, you know, when they load the data into their brain, it has a certain shape that you can't get in your head and maybe they can't convey with words, but since they can see it, then they can take steps and get there. And then they make code that works. And then you go, oh, okay, I see the product. It's good. Go do it again. And maybe I won't understand what you're doing for three months, but that's okay. In the end, we'll have something. Out of interest as well, do you, I guess people, people communicate with other people that they find relatable or they have something in common. If a data scientist, you can probably potentially answer this, if a data scientist was going into an interview process and was talking to a business leader or someone in HR and they fail that round because they don't, you know, they find it hard to communicate. Is that something that happens often? You know, are they really good data scientists sometimes that come into the processes and just don't get through one or two stages because they're just not comfortable having those conversations? Yeah, and I I really think the interview process is mostly broken. There are so many smart people that do poorly in interviews, and I really think there, there's got to be a better way. One way I like to do things is give them some small project, something that you can't download on the web. It's not out there. It's something no one else has done. Mm. And give them maybe a week or so to do something that should take a day and let them do it on their own time. Think about it deeply because that's how they're going to do their job too. Anyway. Are you saying, would you, would you suggest if we were talking about the interview process, would you suggest doing that early on? Would that be a first stage? Because I've also had the market kick back and say, well, I'm not, no, I don't even know anything about the business. The first thing I'm going to do is not yeah. dive deep into a week's worth of, of take home challenge. Well, every time I've done this with, um, if I had some operational control, I would actually pay them to do the interview. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're paying them for their hours. You've, you've selected a few people after talking with them briefly, yeah. but you select a few people, maybe five, maybe 10, you know, and pay them to do the problem. And then, Level of effort. yeah. And then there'll be one or two that you give offers to. Yeah. And the cost of not hiring or, or hiring a bad data scientist. Do you know much about the, the specifics around that? Because I mean, what an average data scientist earn between 150 and 180. Yeah. Um, what does that cost the business if they, you know, go through a two or three month interview process, they have someone come in, they've got two or three people, you know, maybe yourself teaching in the ropes. And then after six or eight months, you realize that actually you've made a bad hire. Yeah. It's, it's emotionally hard more than anything. Right. I mean, it's something you, you want to avoid so you don't ever put the ones, the people you want to keep there, you don't make them feel insecure. And that's, I think, the worst cost. The money the company forgets about after a while. Yeah, true. True. So there's a much bigger impact on that bad hire. So getting the interview process right is, is super important. Yeah, super yeah important. it's the emotional thing. Yeah. That's the most uh, important. Callum asked a question here as well. Um, I think I understand that. It was, uh, can you tell if a data scientist has a cap on their potential? 
yeah, I would say that's their own personal decision. And there was someone on a group that I was involved with. I'm trying to talk about the past, you know, anyway, if someone doesn't express a personal deep interest in getting better at something, you know, like that Stephen Covey idea of sharpen the saw. If they're not someone who's constantly sharpening the saw on their own time for the love of the game, they have a cap. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're as good as they're ever going to get right now. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to suss out. But I think you can suss it out by relaxed talking and people will talk about what interests them. And if they don't have anything that interests them, nothing that lights up their eyes, nothing that they're talking about, oh, yeah, I learned this and this and that, then they don't have a desire to sharpen their own saw. They have a cap in their potential. Yeah, that's interesting. I um, I see some of the best data science teams that really do invest time into some of the more junior recruits, you know, finding someone with three of the five skills that they're looking for and then putting time into to training them, um, getting them excited about the project. Because the market, I, I tend to see data scientists moving every one to two years at the moment, and, and that baffles me. Yeah. And I think that's just because businesses don't put enough back into the individuals, or they're not willing to show a little bit of flexibility on hiring someone that's got potential. I think it's more emotional issues. Mm. So we try to <clears throat> advertise ourselves as being a version of Mr. Spock, right? But we are obviously not. And those emotional, interpersonal things are huge. They're so huge. And I think we could solve all our problems by doing things we can't do in COVID. Meeting in person regularly over drinks, for instance. Spending time together that is not related to work. Doing things like bowling or whatever. Like there's that old quote, you can learn more about a, about a man by playing with him for an hour than working with him for a lifetime. And even though we try to think we don't need this, and I remember there was one group I was in years ago, they on purpose put us physically all right next to each other. So we would see each other face to face and we didn't. We just emailed each other all the time. <laughs> each other. Even though we can just talk over the cubicle, we would rather chat online than talk face to face. But you have to break that somehow. And I think that people get on some almost academic vein where they're like, this is the truth and I'm sticking to it. No, this is the way and I'm sticking to this way. And then they butt heads. But if they spend time talking about something they can agree on, like, yeah, Guinness beer is good, then they would stop that whole, that other problem just goes away. So I think people leave situations because of emotional issues more than, oh, I'm going to get $10,000 more here or there. I, I would agree with that. And um, I've even seen it go the other way, you know, coming out of some of the major tech firms where they're, they're earning 10 to 50 to $60,000 more and would happily take a cut just, just to get an environment that's going to motivate them, going to stimulate them um, yeah. with the paycheck, which it's very difficult sometimes for me to understand as a sales person, because obviously one of our key metrics is making money. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've been doing this for long enough now that actually the money is typically just a byproduct of, of the level of skill you have. Yeah. Uh, 
that that normally isn't a negotiation point for businesses who are making the serious about making hires. I think there's a certain level. Once you get to the point where you can pay off your student loans, everything else is good. Yes. Yeah. Then you're looking for other things like quality of life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, interested to, to see or at least hear some advice from you around the best practices, like from your experience, having been a data scientist, having grown in leadership positions, having co-founded your own business, um, what advice could you give to anyone that's looking to either start a data science team, you know, grow their existing data science team? What, what would you say? Well, first of all, as you go through your life and your career, find people that have a love for whatever it is they're doing and latch onto them and don't ever let go. And then next time you start a business, those are the ones you call and reach out to and see if they're, they're free to join you because you want people who are just the really energetic ones who just really love doing this. One um, also remember that tactic about having them do a project and paying them to do it when you're interviewing people. That's I, that. I think a really good tactic for interviewing people. The other thing is go to places where you can see people in action. Like there are beat-ups for deep learning that you can go to and you'll see that one person who you can tell they are really in it. And because of what they bring up, what they talk about, usually they'll get together once a week and discuss a paper. That's what some of the deep learning meetups do. And that's a really great place to find people. Another thing is hackathons. One time I went to a hackathon at a university and I usually would go to the end when they're gonna present their projects. And there was this one project that was just far and above you know, better than any of those. It was just blow away. And I talked to the three members of the team afterwards, and it was clear that one of them did 90% of the work. <laughs> yeah. So I hired him for a project and it was great. And now there's a challenge to this though, because the people who are like that, they're also, they're like that. So they have five other projects that they're doing on the side. So they're always trying to start several businesses on their own. So passionate people who want to create things are also, they're passionate people who want to create things. So you have to be able to speak their language. You have to be able to focus their attention for enough time to get something great done. So there's a lot of balances and trade-offs there. Yeah. Now, one thing, um, one thing I did want to touch on purely because kind of mine and your relationship started, um, from a recruitment perspective more than anything. And we stayed in touch for some time and, uh, and eventually we found something that, you, you know, you mentioned you really enjoying the importance of working with your internal HR team or your external recruitment partner when growing a data science team, I guess, I guess what is, how important is that? You know, is it, is it, is it a good thing to have those relationships consistently kind of being kept to, to, you know, in a good place? Um, do your, does your network stretch far enough that if you wanted to grow a data science team, you wouldn't need support? I think anybody who wants to grow a data science team right now needs as much support as they can get. Mm. I have people coming to me asking me, who do you know? Who do you know that could do this and that? Because um, it's hard to find the right kind of people. Mm. It is hard. Yeah. And, um, you know, everyone's got a slightly different network. And yeah. Our job as a recruitment business, at least from my perspective, is to constantly stay in touch with that network. And 
if I'm doing my job correctly, I won't always help people immediately. You know, it could be that I reach out in a year, year and a half time. I don't actually know what the time frame was with me and you, but it was, I know it wasn't it was, a week. It was at least six, seven months later. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, my advice when growing a, a team, certainly from the perspective of a recruiter, is at least have those relationships ready if you need them. I'm not saying it's the only way to grow a data science team, but, but it's certainly good to give yourself some options. Yeah, HR is a very interesting thing. Um, one company I worked at in San Francisco, they had an HR person who was just really just warm and loving. And that HR person kind of made me feel at home. And I think it's come for a company, it's so important for the HR person to have those interpersonal skills and make you feel that they mean it because the people in your data science team may not have those skills and may not make you feel so at home yeah and it's it's interesting as well because typically they are the first face or the first person exactly. that a data scientist yeah. sees. It's, it's not always in a dream i think in a dream world the hiring manager would always take the first conversation the first kind of deep technical conversation in my opinion i think that always sets a good tone uh, for mm -hmm. the rest of the hiring process and and then also the engagement of the the candidate but yeah don't forget that the the hr contact of the recruiter is predominantly going to be the face of your interview process. So if you are a hiring manager, my advice would be like, make sure you're giving them clear messages and, and really just giving them as much information as they need to be able to present your team in the best possible way. Yeah. The other challenge about building a data science team is that oftentimes when you start to build it, you don't really have a clear idea of what you want to build. Mm. And then everyone who comes on the team has their own ideas. They hear your problem for five minutes like oh yeah i've solved it in my head i know what we're going to do so now you have 10 or 15 ideas of what you're going to build so it becomes something new each person means you're going to go in a different direction now yeah so it's good to have a person with the vision in their head who can almost if they had to lay it out in a bunch of future sprints and say this is exactly what we're going to do have that really smart person hire them very early on have them plan it out and then as you bring on more people they know where they fit in yeah agreed i think this is probably a topic that we could talk about for hours um i don't think anyone's truly mastered the best way to hire a data science team because every single industry is different every single team is different every single interviewer and every candidate is different um, so just keeping an open mind and being adaptive and, and keeping up with the trends and listening to what the market's saying, you know, when they're looking right now, you know, there's so many available people, there's so many people looking for work, you know, really put your ear to the ground and listen to what it is that they're looking for from an interview process from the first 90 days on the job and, you know, the future kind of career path that they want within your business, you know, just, just staying aware of that stuff. But I really appreciate your time, Graham, coming on the show. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, um, thanks to anyone that's kind of tuned in. We'll be making this uh, podcast available on Apple, Spotify and YouTube. And there'll also be some links that follow on LinkedIn Live if, if you want to watch it at a later date. Um, as a bit of an exclusive, I'm focused right now on, on creating a new podcast, which is going to be essentially touching on um, questions that maybe non-technical people are afraid of asking. So I, I'm going to be that guy that asks the stupid questions so you don't have to. So right now I'm looking for a bunch of um, technical experts that might have a particular specialism 
uh, under the kind of AI machine learning data science bracket that might want to do a short kind of five to 10 minute video on that very specific topic. Um, anyone who's interested in following up on that, please feel free to reach out to me directly. Um, and then beyond that, I know Graham, you know, is pretty active on LinkedIn himself and he's you know, more than happy to answer any questions you might have moved forward. Thank you.